Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April and I'm here with my best bud, Seth Robinson. Seth, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Enjoying a nice fall day here in New England. You ready for a big New England sports weekend? I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You've got the haters and the lovers and everything in between here as Tom Brady comes back to uh, to uh, New England for the first time since he left. He defected. Yeah. I have mixed feelings. You're, I, I, mostly, I, I, you're mostly a lover, right? I am, you know, it kind of gives me two teams to root for in a way. So, you know, if the Patriots are, who are not looking that great this year, you know, if they, uh, if they're, if they're out by mid season without a chance, I, I can always switch and start rooting for uh, yeah. Tom, Tom and Gronk. Now you got to remember Gronk, Gronk's on the Tampa Bay too. So it's kind of yeah, like old home day when I watch those games, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and the Red Sox, I mean, you know, Grease no, coming down to it, so I know, but they haven't. They've not, they've been terrible. They lost the last like four or five games in a row. They're digging their own grave here. I think they still have a mathematical chance at this point, but um, hmm. we'll yeah, see. they're still in the wild card. They can uh, they can make it in there and get their butts kicked by the Yankees for the yeah, wild card game. So I know, I know. Well, that at least be a fun game to watch. I like the one sudden death game to get into yeah. the wild. Yeah. That's just, yeah. So today we are going all research. We've got your new um, cybersecurity study. Uh, it also happens to be October 1st, which is the uh, this month. It's the first day of October, which is officially cybersecurity month. Correct. That's a thing. It's become yep. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's become a thing. So, yeah, you'll be people will be hearing a lot from CompTIA from all the different parts of CompTIA. You know, a lot of people doing different things with cybersecurity on the certification side. And we've got our ISAO uh, that's trying yeah. to help channel firms uh, get up to speed and, and stay on top of things with cybersecurity. And like you said, we got new research here like we do every year. Um, yeah, it's you know, a security extravaganza all month that's long. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's let's dive into the research. It'll be, yeah, be good, well, to, I, good I, to go I, through this one. Yeah, this is, this is good. I know we do this research annually. So um, this is the latest iteration. Uh, and I've gone through it. Um, great study. Um, I like the way you broke it down into four four key pieces. So rather than me try to give the you know sort of the, the top line on it, why don't you kind of get us into the discussion and then we can uh, we can riff on some of these uh, findings that you've got. Yeah, sure. At at a real high level, um, just looking at people's sentiment, I, you know, I, I think that it was kind of encouraging this year to see people feeling uncertain about cybersecurity. I think last year, the the numbers on sentiment around cybersecurity or how they felt like their company was doing, uh, you know, skewed a little positive. Uh, and I think there was a little bit of question about, you know, if those sentiments were reality. And, and this year we saw a step back and it feels like a little closer to reality where it's like clearly cybersecurity is not a thing that's under control. I mean, we just hear about it every day, ransomware and different types of attacks, uh, DDoS attacks and phishing attacks and all kinds of data breaches and privacy issues. And it's just a, a daily occurrence. And so it'd be really hard for, for people to say, yeah, we feel like cybersecurity is in a good place uh, in general across the economy. And then within their own companies, you know, I, I think that a little step back in sentiment, again, reflects what we 
feel the reality is when we dig through all the rest of the data. So, you know, you don't see that many people saying that they feel completely confident in their cybersecurity. And uh, we've made the argument for a couple of years now that cybersecurity is is really as critical to your business as the financial operations. And, and so you don't want, you know, only a quarter of your employees saying that they're completely confident in cybersecurity. That's that's really not not that good. You, you really want that number to be pretty high, uh, even though that's uh, a high bar to, to clear. So, so I think that we see, you know, a, a lot of uncertainty around cybersecurity and a lot of desire to make it better. And I, I think it's a very difficult thing for companies to do. It's it's just not been the the way that they've traditionally approached it. And so, like you said, we we broke this year's report down into four sections, and and this isn't really unique to us, but. Uh, a lot of people have talked about cybersecurity policy, process, people, and products. Uh, and so I think that's the way that we're going to structure the report, you know, year after year here and look at these areas and, and hopefully, you know, help businesses give some structure to the way that they think about cybersecurity so that they can improve their standing. Yeah, before we dive into the pillars, I wanted to, to tack on to what you just said about um, this sort of dip in uh, certainty around whether they're doing the right thing with cybersecurity, whether their companies are um, fully protected and up to speed. And one of the things that we found in the State of the Channel study this year, which was one of the big takeaways, and we talked about it a little when we did our, um, our podcast on it, was that even channel firms themselves, uh, the percentages came in that they are self-evaluating as sort of woefully behind on their own cybersecurity efforts. Um, they're not where they want to be. Um, they're kind of racing against the clock, feeling like there's threats coming from all over and they can't keep up uh, from a manpower standpoint, a skills standpoint, and all of that. So um, so it's not just the, the end user companies that are going through this struggle. It's then the providers themselves, too, who are supposed to be, in some regards, experts at this, are still finding their way right now. And it seemed to have taken a dip also, like yours did, year over year. So something, maybe it was the pandemic, something's gone on in the last year that is kind of shaken some confidence, I think. Yeah, I think I think the return, you know, out of panic mode, you know, is is getting people to look more and more at their overall operations again. Um, and and maybe being honest about their assessments there. And, you know, to your point, you know, everyone is feeling kind of uncertain about this. And I, I think that that policy, that first pillar of cybersecurity here it's both a good place to start, but I think it's also the reason why we see so much uncertainty and so many struggles in feeling good about cybersecurity. Because when I'm talking about policy, I don't necessarily mean a written policy. I'm talking a little bit more about the culture and mindset around cybersecurity. And for many, many years, for decades, the culture and mindset around cybersecurity was relatively simple. It was viewed as a part of IT infrastructure operations it was viewed through a very defensive lens. It was kind of like, we can identify all of the stuff that's trying to get to us. And so we're just going to build this secure perimeter and keep all the bad stuff on the outside. And all of our corporate you know, data and information and systems are gonna be on the inside. And I think that sort of worked um, because of the nature of technology at the time, You know, both the, the nature of cyber attacks, but also the nature of IT architecture that it was co-located. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't distributed all over the place. It's been getting more and more distributed, and and so that we've talked for a long time about that secure perimeter has been eroding, 
but I don't think that we've really wrapped our arms around the overall mindset that has to shift. And, and that overall mindset, again, was you know highly defensive and thinking about a secure perimeter. Now, I think the term that we've started to use in the past couple of years for the new mindset is a zero trust approach. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that really wraps around a lot of different activities that companies are doing in terms of putting security specifically on the data or looking at identity and access management all types of things. And it also matches up with today's IT architecture that with a very distributed architecture, you have to be verifying multiple times at all kinds of entry points. So I, we think that zero trust is really the, the new mindset that companies have to embrace. And there are a lot of things that come with that, but it's a huge shift from what's come before. Yeah, I think about it. I mean, zero trust sounds sort of foreboding, right? Um, just the the terminology, um, but you know, it brings to mind just the old adage of trust don't you know trust but verify, which I think is important. And uh, you know, I'm curious when you say it's a new mindset that has to take place within organizations, um, is it because it seems to be um, intrusive to some employees, for instance, the way that that security is now going to be handled? Um, you know, what what are the hurdles that that organizations face when they attempt to move to a zero trust environment? What are kind of the pushback? What are the pushbacks? I guess. Is what I'm yeah, I, th- I think you know the 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 pushbacks. You know, probably almost subconsciously, one of the pushbacks is the complexity that's involved. You know, security, like I said, it was always just a part of infrastructure. It was just put up that secure perimeter and configure it and maintain it and we're good. And now there are so many moving parts and we'll get into that, you know, a little bit more, but I think it's so much more complex that, uh, you know, executives or business owners or business unit people, they have a difficult time understanding, you know, what all the different pieces are and, and where, they might be introducing security vulnerabilities, you know, in in the activities that they're doing. So I think that that complexity is probably the underlying piece. But then, when you get down to it, uh, another huge pushback would be the cost of of that complexity. It, it, it's clearly going to cost more, and we see that in the data. Uh, most of the companies that have embraced a zero trust approach are saying that it's more expensive, um, and We've talked about this for a while, and security budgets are really difficult to define because security is embedded in so many different pieces. But in general, whatever amount a company thought they were spending on cybersecurity before, it does have to go up because the problem is bigger and it's more complex and it's more serious to the business, and it simply has to be a greater investment. And so I think wrapping their head around that investment and having the security experts be able to kind of quantify what types of returns there can be on investments and give the metrics that justify investments. I think that whole discussion is is a new thing for a lot of companies, but it's it's the direction, you know, that we've been talking about for a long time and now we've got this label, you know, sort of a zero trust approach mm-hmm. that that covers all the different aspects of the, of the, the the challenges. That's a kind of a classic cost-benefit analysis. I would think it would be very effective for an IT team or whoever the security team is, is to go to the executives within their company and say, you know, yes, this is the cost of going zero trust and, and all that entails. And there's a big, you know, ticket. It's a big ticket item. Um, but here's what we did some calculations. Here's what it would cost us if we get 
a data breach or some other, you know, massive um, security incident that happens. And to see the difference, the potential difference in money could be, you know, kind of a stark kick in the butt for executives to accept the uh, the higher cost of going to more of a zero trust environment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's, the threat, it's a of tricky thing. Of, it's the threat of going out of business and a bunch of lawsuits, you know, versus, okay, bite the bullet and pay for this. Uh, right. Right. And then you're, you're, you get into playing the odds, right? So then, you know, if you're an executive, you would say, well, what are the odds that we're going to have a breach that would put us out of business? And That's the whole insurance model. I mean, you know, why do I, why do we pay car insurance every single month? What are the odds, you know? Yeah. And that's why there's cyber insurance now, right? I mean, yeah. that's become, you know, a, a significantly growing thing. We have a member benefit now around cyber insurance. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it, it's not for the faint of heart, right? Nope. Um, but I think that those investments are what lead into the next area of cybersecurity, which is the the processes and the, and the practices. And you know, here the trend that we really see is that these practices, again, it reflects the complexity. They're, they're growing in breadth. There are so many different practices that a company you know should undertake or should at least consider. But they also have to have a, a significant amount of depth too. So consider something like security monitoring that a lot of companies do today, uh, they, they do security monitoring and they're kind of keeping an eye on their network for any anomalies, you know, or known breaches or, or anything like that. But the, the additional depth that they should be adding is some kind of data analytics, you know, on top of that, yeah. you know, uh, to, to be tracking the behavior of the network and to be, you know, surfacing any new types of behavior that don't match to you know a known pattern or a known breach or anything like that, but are still worthy of being looked at. Uh, and so I think a lot of companies are doing that monitoring, but not as many companies are are diving deeper and trying to do that analytics part of it. And I think you could take that kind of across the board when you're talking about workforce assessment and education or risk management or any number of things that we list in the report. There are a lot of these activities that companies may or may not be doing. And then there's an additional layer of depth that they should be going to uh, that they may or may not be doing. Yeah, we see that even outside of the cybersecurity realm, just in, you know, when I look at these uh, and and the work that they do, you know, so much monitoring, right, and collecting data. But the you, holy grail, as I speak, for them to get to that next level of doing the analytics and being able to provide, you know, prescriptive advice and make big business decisions for their customers and that haven't quite reached that level. And I think maybe that's analogous to some of the things going on with cybersecurity is kind of kicking it up to that more sophisticated level that's really going to be able to not just protect the business, but then help the business move forward um, in the right um, posture with respect to security. Yeah. And the other thing that I'd add with these processes is that a lot of them need to have a proactive element to them. You know, again, that old mindset was so defensive. It was just, let's yeah. build the strongest defenses that we can. But now there's this proactive element, whether it's penetration testing, you know, or, or some kind of threat intelligence. Uh, and, and that is a, a new thing for companies to embrace. And, and we haven't seen as much movement in that. I think we're going to start seeing more. I think companies have understood that the secure perimeter is eroding. And so they have to put new defenses on their systems and their applications, but they're a little slower to understand that proactive piece of it. Um, and it's going to be a critical piece moving forward because th there are all types of, you know, zero day, you know, breaches and, and all kinds of vulnerabilities in systems that, you know, aren't known about. 
Uh, and one of the best ways to try to shore up those defenses is to, you know, constantly do audits or penetration testing or, mm -hmm. or something that would find them. Yeah, I mean, the complexity has got to be just nuts with the movement to the cloud, which, you know, we're not turning back from that. So you're not only protecting your stuff and your environment, but you've got to worry about the level of protection that you, the providers outside of your world who you are, you know, sharing data with or storing data with, um, how they're doing. And I, I got to imagine that that um, gets into some sort of hairy conversations with some of those outside providers in the cloud that you're working with and having to not only double check on your own security uh, abilities, but also on what's going on on their end as well. Mm -hmm. From yeah. Point. yeah, it's uh, it's very complex. And, and again, these you know these cloud providers or a lot of other firms that companies might be doing using for you know content distribution or or some kind of mm -hmm. you know uh, edge networking or something like that. You know they they can add to the security picture, uh, and and that's usually a benefit. But you have to understand exactly what they're bringing to the table and how they're you know adding to the security posture of your company and how you can fit that into your overall strategy. Yeah. So let's talk people, because they're always a big part of um, the cybersecurity conversation, both in a good way and a bad way, because people can be a big problem, right, Seth? We've, yeah. seen, that. we've seen that over the years. Um, one of the things that we've discussed quite a bit is the framework that you developed with CompTIA um, about functional areas of um, of uh, IT within an organization. And of the four, one has become security. security. Security is its own functional unit and should be considered a team unto itself, even though, as you said earlier, security wraps around everything and every um, function within an organization, or it should, if you're doing your job correctly. Um, but that means people. So you need to have the right people on those teams. And then you've got the rank and file who work in your organization who are the ones can can be the most gullible to uh, certain um, malicious actors out there and, you know, click on the attachment and do the, all the cliche things that we try not to do, but continue to happen. Um, so, you know, who who's in control of dealing with the people? That's a good question. You know, I, I think that it's uh, a lot of it's falling to technology teams, you know, like even when you talk about the rank and file and talking about something like, you know, workforce education, yeah. I, I think that that education falls to a security team or, or an IT team, you know, even though that, that might not be their core competency, that might not be something that they've got a lot of practice in. And so they're kind of having to come up to speed on providing education and, and assessing the workforce to understand where some of the gaps might be and where some of the most critical areas for education would be. Uh, but You've, you've got the the rank and file like you talked about and you've got workforce education that has to happen there you've got the the security experts uh, you know which at some companies still just might be your IT generalists but at many companies are becoming cybersecurity engineers or cybersecurity analysts or penetration mm -hmm. testers you know people that are doing security for 100% of their job and then beyond that you've got uh, you know management executives and even up to the board of directors you know all of these people are involved in the cybersecurity chain. And I think, you know, to your question of who's in charge of all of this, it's so, sort of all of the above, but they all have sort of different areas of responsibility or different things that they're looking at. You know, obviously, like a board of directors is responsible for the overall health of the company. And so they're going to be right. asking questions 
you know, around that, whereas executives or upper management are going to be asking questions around, you know, the, the operations of the company. And so cybersecurity goes through all of these discussions. And I think one of the biggest challenges for companies today is in making sure that all of the conversations are happening at the right level so that you're not, you know, bringing people into the board of directors to talk about how you're configuring a firewall or how exactly you're executing workforce education, but you're surfacing the right types of metrics or financial indicators that would be of interest to them. And then you're weaving that conversation all the way throughout the organization and all the way out to your partners as well, right? Because these people are obviously involved in the cybersecurity discussions as well. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, wrapping your arms around that whole conversation and again, providing the right metrics to make sure that it's all connected is a huge challenge for companies today. Yeah. And while we're talking about this, I'm thinking about small companies. I mean, so many in our universe at CompTIA are SMB size. And when I say small, they can be quite small, 10, 10 employees or fewer, but even companies with 50 or fewer, in some cases, don't have a very elaborate IT department if they have one. And so you mentioned things like board of directors and executive levels and security teams. Clearly, these companies are not going to have that in place. And I think for a lot of years, um, small companies um, didn't take cybersecurity quite as seriously as larger ones, thinking that they were not targets because, you know, what do we have or does this little company um, who's going to be interested in our network? Um, but that certainly isn't the case, um, as we've seen in the last couple of years that, you know, smaller companies can become entryways to many other companies as well. And hackers have discovered that. But still, I wonder how small companies cope with this kind of layer that you've just described here, which is obviously something that is not within uh, a their budget or just in general their structure. Yeah, I think in in all of these areas, you know, we've talked a lot about the complexity, and obviously, the smaller you get, the more difficult it is to deal with that complexity. And I think the thing that's really important for these small companies now is to try to do some risk assessment and try to understand where their priorities should be because they can't cover all the bases. Right. Um, you know, even some of the bigger companies can't cover all the bases, but certainly these smaller companies with limited resources, limited budget, they can't cover all the bases. Uh, and and it can be overwhelming to, to try to be hearing about all of these things that you absolutely need to do for cybersecurity uh, and, and for them to be feeling like they just, they can't do all of those things. And so, I do think they have to dig in, you know, with the help of a consultant or someone from the outside, maybe that could walk them, you know, through where their areas of greatest risk are uh, and how they view risk and where they might be willing to accept some risk and where they should focus, you know, the limited efforts that they have. Yeah. And I, I think that that even feeds into, you know, this final area, which it's kind of ironic, you know, this product area, it's almost the way that companies used to start thinking about cybersecurity. It's like the first thing that they're thinking about is, okay, Tools with cybersecurity, yeah. yeah, what's my what's my firewall? You know, what's my antivirus? That's the main yeah. thing that I'm doing. And now it's kind of like we're describing at the tail end of the process. Like once you've worked through all of these things, that tells you what tools you should be investing in. Right. Uh, and firewall and antivirus are still, you know, critical parts, but there are all kinds of other things now, you know, like DLP and IAM and SIM and all these things. And again, for a small company, they probably can't buy all of them, but which ones are gonna be the most critical? Yeah. Yeah, tools are, um, it's interesting that they come at the end here. And I think this makes perfect sense. You know, you should think things out first and then figure out what you need 
um, in your arsenal to help you get there uh, from a tool perspective. And there are so many. I mean, when we did the, you know, state of the channel study recently, you know, we did a lot of security questions and you know, the, the laundry list of uh, possibilities from a product standpoint, the various categories has, has grown from, you know, maybe eight to 10 when we, I first started doing the list. And now the list is, you know, double that because there are so many different products on the market and different types of protection that you can use. And, um, you know, I guess you're right though. You can't use all of them because it's quite expensive. Uh, but doing a risk analysis seems to be the way to go in, in, in making sure that you're using the right products on the areas where you may be the most vulnerable. Yeah, and I, I think this is where, you know, third parties come in, you know, in these last areas where you're obviously, you know, needing a whole range of targeted tools. Uh, and that sort of implies a whole range of targeted skills. And, yeah. you know, again, regardless of the size of the company, unless you're one of the biggest you know enterprises out there, you probably don't want to necessarily have all of these things in house. And so you're going to be looking for you know, experts on the outside. And again, sometimes companies will be looking for very specialized people. But again, the, the smallest companies might just be looking for, uh, you know, a general managed security services provider that has decent breadth and depth, you know, across all of these things that can act as maybe a virtual CISO for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, you know, I think that this complexity is a huge challenge for end users and end companies, you know, trying to figure out how to improve their security posture. And it's a huge opportunity for existing firms uh, in the technology space and people that maybe want to get into the technology space. Cool. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask about or just talk about was your thoughts on um, how the past couple of years and we talk about the world of work and how it's changing and, um, and, and driven you know, in large part by the, the pandemic, but the move to so much remote working, um, just the changes in the way that offices are going to be used, um, it, those sort of patterns. Uh, how do you see, if at all, those disrupting, since I think they're here to stay at least for the, the foreseeable future, disrupting or changing the way companies need to approach their cybersecurity um, strategies? I, I think a lot of companies were already starting to head down the path, especially, you know, with, with cloud systems that th those are maybe the back end, you know, systems. And with remote work, we're talking a little bit more about front end pieces, but either way, we're talking about greater distribution, you know, and being yeah. kind of outside of company control. So I, I think that companies were starting to move in the direction of realizing, you know, we've got distributed systems, uh, we, we may have people, you know, on the outside using, you know, mobile devices, whether they're working full time or not, you know, remotely, they still may be, you know, accessing things remotely from time to time. And so if the world is yeah. moving towards this more distributed form of, of IT architecture uh, and, and remote access, what are some of the things that we need there? I think the pandemic certainly accelerated that front end part, uh, you know, both for a lot of companies just creating the front end and, and getting laptops to employees and making them productive, but then figuring out what the security ramifications were. I think now we're, we're, we're moving back into, uh, you know, a, a mode of operation that resembles what we would have had in like 2019, right? You know, we've, we've definitely got remote, more remote workers, but companies are out of panic mode. Uh, you know, and I think we'll be looking at this, you know, as we go into our outlook report this year, but they, they're just moving out of panic mode and back into 
the the mode that they were and and i think that a lot of the the direction that they had prior to the pandemic with a few additions you know and 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 changes uh will will be the direction that they want to keep going you know coming out of the pandemic that's good i think that's a good ending spot a little bit on the positive note we're looking yeah. in and when our outlook comes out our, our 2022 you'll see that that uh we're thinking a little bit on the on the upside right that's right uh, but that's that's for another discussion um but the rest of the month it's only october 1st so um if you are uh into celebrating cybersecurity, now is your 31 days it starts today right that's right yeah we, we're doing cybersecurity. you know on the next episode of volley trend watches you know throughout this month are focused on cybersecurity. so there's no escaping it lots going on yep well my friend uh you get out and enjoy fall weather this weekend i certainly am gonna try and uh, till next time. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks again to our producer, Andrew McMillan. And we will talk to you next time.